You're listening to the Pursue God Family Podcast, the official channel for marriage and parenting topics at PursueGod.org. Join Tracy and Brian Dwyer every week as they talk about living biblically in an increasingly secular world. Find more resources to continue the conversation at PursueGod.org slash family. Okay, couples, today we are in week two of our three-week series called After the Affair. Last time we talked about how reconciliation really is possible if during, in the midst of an affair, you know, one of the spouses has an affair, the other one, the other one is the victim of the affair. As long as both spouses are willing to work hard and fight for a healthy marriage, then there really is hope after the affair. And today we're going to talk about five things that the offender is going to need to do. The person who's had the affair. So these are, Tracy, these are the terms we defined last time that the offender is the person who had the affair, the offended, is the person who is now reeling, may probably just found out about it. Again, th- that language isn't to say that one person is 100% wrong and another person doesn't have, is just purely the victim. We understand that marriage just isn't usually that clean, but at least when it comes to an affair, that is helpful to think about it that, that way. And so today we're going to talk to the offender, the person who's had the affair. What, what do I need to do if I want to do my part to help move the marriage forward and hopefully reconcile the marriage. And Tracy, the first of five steps is to, it's kind of obvious, it's just to own up to your mistakes. This is the biggest piece that's actually the predictor of success. If if your marriage can go the distance despite this kind of betrayal is the attitude and transparency of the offender that you can come to your spouse and say, I mean, the ideal thing is that you come and confess something that your spouse didn't have to figure it out or find it out or act like a detective to figure out why you've been acting strangely or where you've been or why there's all these charges on the credit card. You know, owning your mistake is a really big piece of the puzzle for the offender that you can come to your spouse and and admit what you've done and that what you did was wrong what you did was a betrayal, what you did was a a major breach of trust, that you've wounded your spouse's heart, that you've crushed their heart, um, that you've changed their view of you um, because they probably didn't marry you thinking that you would cheat on them, right? So this first step for the offender really makes a big difference in the trajectory of future conversations is if you're able to just own it without excuse, without quantifying it, without thinking somehow you're justified in making the choices you made to have another relationship. You just own the fact that you made a terrible mistake. You know, some of our listeners might be thinking, well, of course I've, of course I've owned it. Otherwise we wouldn't be sitting here having the conversation, but maybe it's helpful to think about it in terms of another topic we have at PursueGod.org. And we'll put a link to this below. It's one of my favorite topics in the library, Tracy. It's called 10 Sinful Responses to Sin. It's, when I first when I first learned these responses to sin, it was really helpful for me because here's the premise is that, that your original sin isn't the biggest problem all the time. It's what happens is you compound your sin. So again, we're talking to the person who had an affair. It It's so easy to compound that original sin problem with your response. In other words, your response to your affair could be just as sinful as the affair itself. 
And so here are the 10 things. And again, if you want to, we're not going to get into great detail here, but I, I think this is so helpful for couples to understand because sometimes it's it's difficult to have self-awareness in this area. You, you feel like, no, I've owned it, but maybe your spouse would say, I don't know if you've really owned it yet. So, so listen to this list. Number one, minimizing sin. You know, d- did you really own your sin or did you minimize it? It's not, it's not enough just to say, no, I get it. I know. I, I'm sorry, honey. I had an affair. I feel bad. No, are you minimizing it? Number two, legitimizing it. Now, hopefully you're not legitimizing this kind of a sin, but many people do. Number three, rationalizing it. You, you say, well, I had a good reason for it. It's because it's because of something you did or you said or because you're so mean or you or 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 because our our maybe our sexual life isn't as fulfilling as as I would want it to be or or you don't meet my needs emotionally or whatever. Are you rationalizing sin? That's number three. Number four, blame shifting. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. He made me do it. That's actually the original the original sin in in the Bible, Adam and Eve. They both are blame shifting. Um, you know, God told them not to eat from the tr- tree in the middle of the garden, and they did, and then they kind of point fingers at each other the whole time. Number five, diversionary tactics. You know, just kind of making light of it, sort of um, creating a humorous environment so that it it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. That's actually not owning up to your sin, like truly repenting. Uh, number six, partial confession, that you you confess part of the sin, but not all of the sin. And Tracy, maybe we'll get into that a little bit today at some point. Like how how much should you say when it comes to owning up your sin? We'll let you address that here in just a second, but let me finish the list. Number seven is worldly grief. That's when, you, when you're, you're sorry that you got caught, but you're not really sorry that you did it. That's called worldly grief, 2 Corinthians 7.10. That's so different than, than godly sorrow or godly grief. Number number eight, victimization, is when you when you kind of have a victim mentality. And we're going to be talking about that. It, it, that's the opposite of owning it. Is saying that somehow you're the victim. Number nine is mere confession. In other words, that you're really good at saying I'm sorry, but then you keep going back and doing it. Maybe you maybe you find yourself in this situation again. Maybe you're a listener and and you this isn't the first time you've been caught, and so. That would be called mere confession. You're not really truly owning it and confessing it and 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 repenting, true repentance. You're just, it's just words. They're cheap words. And that's why your spouse is having such a hard time. And then the last one is codifying sin. Kind of like what people can sometimes do with alcoholism is, is you say, well, it's it's a disease, it's not a sin. So maybe with this, you you could say, Well, I have a sex sexual addiction addiction. It's, you know, I, I can't really control it. It's it's uh, you know it's something that that uh, that isn't truly a choice, and so that's called codifying sin. So again, Tracy, ten sinful, probably more than people bargain for, but ten responses to the original sin that are it's like piling on sin upon sin. Well, again, I think for the offender, what you have to realize is you've you've justified reasons for why this other relationship was something you wanted. And now you're coming back to your spouse, recognizing that you've hurt them, right? That you've betrayed, you've been lying, you've been covering up. And it would be easy for you to want to throw up the defense mechanisms and be like, well, you know, I know this was bad, but I'm not a terrible person. 
you know, you did some things that contributed to all this. It just, like you said, it's kind of a piling on that only is going to make the situation worse. So if you are an offender who really wants to save your marriage, who genuinely wants to right the wrong here, then you need to make sure that you're out the gate in your own mind and thinking. And then the words that you're speaking to your spouse are words of ownership of, I made these decisions, you know, affairs don't just happen, right? There's relationships that build over time. There might be messaging that happened over Facebook. There might be flirtations that are happening in the workplace. There are things that happen along the way that you know, I'm starting to cross a few boundaries here, or I find myself attracted to this person and now I'm seeking out to see them or run into them or be in the same place as they are. Now maybe we're texting with each other. There's lots of choices that you make along the way before you have the actual affair. Those are the things that you need to own up to. The things that you allowed your your mind to go towards, the justifications of why you would put your energy toward a different relationship than your own marriage. So even though, like you said in the beginning, it's not like any marriage is perfect. It's not to say that there aren't going to be things that your marriage needs work. If you're going to reconcile that you're reconciling for something healthy and better, not going back to the status quo, but you have to recognize that your heart and your attitude is none of those issues in the marriage meant you had to have an affair. You could have made different choices to say, I'm not happy in our marriage. We need to fix it. We need to work on it. We need to go to counseling. It doesn't still doesn't justify that you went outside of the marriage and pursued somebody else. So I can hear the offender like legitimately asking, okay, how much detail should I share when I'm, when I'm owning up to my mistakes? And we probably can't answer that. There's probably not one blanket answer that covers every situation, but maybe Tracy, give us a little bit of help in understanding this because it couldn't, couldn't someone go a little too far by just putting every detail out on the table. And now it made it even harder for your spouse to kind of get past it. What, what wisdom would you have for that question? Well, I do agree that every situation is going to be unique. There are certainly different factors that play in like who the person was, how long the affair was. Um, does your spouse know who this person is? Like, you know, just kind of the layers of that. I do think we're going to address this a little bit more as we get into the other steps about seeking wise counsel. I think that's a good thing to ask of people in your life that you trust. But at the end of the day, your spouse gets to decide how much information they want. And so next time we'll talk to the offended. And that's another thing they should process with with some counsel. How much information do I really Mm -hmm. want? You know, the thing you want to guard against is giving too much information that just plays on the imagination or the visuals that they might have of the sexual piece of the affair. But if your spouse is asking the questions as the offender, you need to answer the questions that are asked of you as hard as that might be as awkward as that might be. But I would caution both of you that maybe, maybe you go talk to some trusted people before you have some of those conversations. Like we'll talk about in a minute, the step of when you get into the more fruitful conversations, your spouse to the offended, you might think you want all the information, but maybe you don't. And so for the offender, you, I recognize that can be a hard position to be in, but if your spouse is asking, you need to answer. So again, maybe just a little bit of caution on the, on the part of the offended spouse to, uh, you know, the offended spouse is probably thinking, I 
they're not really necessarily thinking. They're maybe reacting to the situation. And so maybe for the offender to say, I'll answer those questions, but are you sure are you sure we should get into all of that detail just yet? I think maybe the first this first conversation is more about the the one who's had the the affair again owning up to it, not minimizing it, not legitimizing it or rationalizing, not blame shifting, not trying to divert, um, really just just saying, I was so wrong. I was so wrong and I'm so sorry and I, I and I, I have, I'm not going to justify it. I'm not going to leave an excuse for it. I'm so sorry. But again, if you're getting into too, too much detail too quickly, those are things that you can't probably take back. So, so, so maybe it would be helpful to wait to get into a lot of the detail until after you've done this second step, which is to seek wise counsel for yourself. So Tracy, the the, we're talking to the offender right now. The offender is going to need to have a confidant, someone who can really speak life, even before they're talking through some of these issues as a couple. Yes, this is going to be important for the offender to have trusted people that they can go to to process all of the emotions that are in play here. That they that these people are trusted, safe people, people that are going to give good counsel, godly counsel, that are going to encourage you towards there is a hope to save your marriage. You don't want to just be talking to people who are going to say, you know what, affairs happen. Maybe you love this other person more. Cut your spouse loose. That, that, that's not good. Those aren't the kind of people we're talking about. You want to be talking to people where you can be honest because you might, you might need to say like, I do care about this other person. How do I stop caring about that person? I know I can't, I can't continue on in that relationship, but my heart is attached to that person. These trusted people can help you kind of unravel that. They can help prepare your heart for looking at your marriage and your spouse and helping you recognize the choices you made, the justifications you made that weren't helpful, that weren't productive, that weren't good, that led you to some of these decisions and help you start to think about how do I need to go back to my spouse to say, I want to save this thing. I want to, I want to make our marriage healthy and strong. I want to do the things that I need to do to make things right. Is this, is this something you're communicating to your spouse to say, you know, you've taken the first step, you've owned your part, you've you're repentant, you're sorrowful, genuinely, you're not pointing fingers, but now you're saying, look, I want you to know that I'm, I'm talking to so-and-so about this. And I mean, are you being honest with your spouse to say, I, I feel like, I feel like this is important for you to know that this is my, almost like an accountability partner. This is a person that I'm, I'm really, I'm really being completely honest with. Cause again, let's talk, let's say that the offender is a, is a guy then he wants he wants his wife to know I've got other guys in my life who are going to be holding me accountable. So it's it's not just all up to you. This isn't just in our marriage. Like we're we're seeking someone outside of our marriage. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the offender needs to say, I know that I have royally messed up, and I am seeking the counsel of our pastor or marriage mentoring couple or our small group leader, or somebody that you both trust and agree is a productive voice in your life to say, I'm going to confess this also to them for accountability and just to help 
me to process through my part of all of this. Because again, like we said in the last week, the offended has a journey they're going on too and things they're going to have to do to be a part of reconciling the marriage. But the offender right now is processing through taking ownership of the fact that they really have devastated and obliterated the trust in your marriage, but have wounded your spouse and just coming to terms with how did I even get there? What, what, what all, what are all the decisions along the way, the justifications, my thinking that was wrong, that led me to make some of the decisions I made. And this, these people, this person can help walk with you and order your thoughts and challenge some of those thoughts maybe and be a safe person that you can kind of process with that's not your spouse. Because right now they can't handle anything about your emotions or hearing anything from you. They've got their own stuff they're working through. Well, again, they, they don't, they probably can't even handle all of the information even. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, back to what we said earlier, how much should you share with your spouse in terms of detail? Like, are you, are you bearing all? And we, we would recommend that you don't bear all to your spouse necessarily, but you say to your spouse, I will bear all to my, to my confidant, to my counselor, to my mentor, to this person that I'm, this person or these people that I'm seeking wisdom from, I'm going to be completely honest with them. I, I think the, the offender needs to hear this. You, you don't want to tell your spouse, no, you don't need to know the details because that could just come across that you're not really truly confessing it. The point is you're saying, I want to protect your heart while at the same time being completely vulnerable. But I don't know if being completely vulnerable and honest with you is going to be helpful for you at this point. But know that I will be completely vulnerable and honest with this other person or these other people in my life. So in other words, I am going, I'm not just trying to get out of this. I'm not trying to get out of telling you this. But maybe it would be helpful to have someone else bear this burden with us rather than having, having you bear it all. Well, and I think next week we'll talk about the offended. That'll be part of their journey with seeking wise counsel is figuring out how much information do they really want to know. But I do think the offender, if you're, if your spouse is asking questions, you have a responsibility to answer them. I agree with you that it isn't maybe great to just spill all the beans of like being super graphic or clear about the sexual part of the affair. But if your spouse is asking questions, the owning it part of it is that you would say, listen, I will answer any question that you have. I just want to make sure that it's the wisest timing for that. And maybe we go ask our trusted counselors first and then come back to a conversation. But you don't want to come across like you're trying to now withhold information from your spouse. Yeah. I remember, you know, talking through some of these issues with couples in the past and, you know, honestly, sometimes a couple just doesn't even know what the boundaries should be. So that the, uh, the offended asks a question and then the offender looks at us and says, should I, is that helpful for me to give that much detail, that much information? So honestly, some of our listeners might truly be saying, I don't know what the answer is. I don't, I don't know what I, you know, what would be best for my spouse. I don't want to wound my spouse even more. And so our recommendation is really try to sort of negotiate that, have someone in your life to say where you can be specific and talk about those details and say, do, do you think this is helpful? But my, I think my point is it's really help. Part of the thing you're doing is you're trying to earn trust back. So it's really helpful 
that your spouse knows that there is someone else you've brought in because you didn't bring someone in before. You were having the affair in secret. You were having the affair in, in darkness. But now you're saying, I'm putting it in the light. I'm exposing it now. And so your spouse needs to know that so you can begin to earn trust back. So Tracy, we've, we've talked about then owning it and seeking wise counsel for yourself. Then at some point, you need to come back to your spouse and have fruitful conversations. Is this where you're going to then potentially include now that, that wise counsel, that person who's been mentoring you, or even maybe a mentoring couple? Yeah. I mean, at some point you want to get to, again, if both of you want to fight for the marriage and want to move towards future focus, looking at the future and what could be, then yeah, I think that having a mentoring couple or the two people that maybe you've kind of confided in through this can come together and help you start to have conversations about, okay, so how do we, how do we move forward? So for the offender, again, your language that you're going to use in those conversations about the future need to continue to have ownership language, that you take ownership for the hurt that you've brought, the betrayal you brought into the marriage, the disappointments that you've brought in that were your choices alone, that your spouse was not a part of any of that, you know, that you talk to your spouse, to the offended with speaking life. Like I want to save our marriage. I want to do whatever it takes to earn your trust back. That'll be really important in those fruitful conversations of looking to the future for you as the offender to speak to, I love you. I want to make this work. I'm so sorry that I hurt you and, and have betrayed your trust in the ways that I have. And, and then you need to be able to speak to things about, I'm going to do whatever it takes to earn your trust. Whatever you ask of me, I'm going to do because earning your trust back, saving our marriage, working towards something healthy is paramount. And then of course, I do think it's important for the offender to be mindful that you also need to be a really good listener, that you're not just so busy, like a hamster on the wheel, like wanting to run and run, like, look, look at all these things I can do. Like really just listen to your spouse. The offended gets to set the timeline of what they're ready for and when they're ready for it. You just need to be ready to say, I'm going to do whatever it takes. Whatever you ask of me, I'm going to do. And I'm going to be respectful of the boundaries that you put in place. And I'll go the pace that you want us to go. Step number four, or really kind of item number four, I guess these aren't really technically steps. It's just just a reminder, I think, to the offender. It's kind of what you're saying is just be humble. That that you're not you're not trying to be heard. You're trying to here. You're trying to listen. You're real. I mean, that's really the attitude that you're coming and approaching your marriage with now. And Tracy, I just would imagine that that's really, maybe that's hard for somebody. It's hard for any, anyone to hear because it's, it's hard. It's everyone. We're all wired to be selfish, but I think it's especially hard for someone who did such a selfish thing to, to hear that, okay, it's time for you now to be humble. So I don't know, I guess maybe the skeptic in me is saying, could could that could this person really accomplish this? Could could this person really approach this marriage now with this whole new mentality of humility? I hope so. I mean, you're going to have to do that with Christ at the center of that. But again, I think you have to decide as the offender if you want if you want to fight for your marriage. If you don't want to end in divorce, then humility has to be at the, at the center of it. And that's not to say that down the road, as you guys kind of work through the crisis part of all of this, that the affair brought, 
that there won't be conversations of, again, like we said last week, it's not that you're going back to a status quo, it's that you really are trying to build towards something healthier and stronger, that you actually can come through this horrible experience that brought a lot of pain, that some great things can come from that if both of you say, we both have things we can work on to change, but the actual act of the affair was the selfish act that you, the offender, chose to do. But future conversations can then be about how do we, how do we love each other better? And the humility that you would just have to say, right now, my responsibility is to love you, offended. My responsibility right now is in humility to say, I own the mistakes that I made that created this crisis and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get us out of this miry pit so that we can start working towards a healthier marriage. Yeah. What do you say to the, again, the spouse who's, who's listening to this, maybe even they're just weighing this. Do I really even want to do this? Do I really even want to fight for my marriage? Because it's going to take a lot of humble pie. I'm going to, I'm going to be doing a lot of, of eating that particular pie. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do, you, what do you say to the spouse who says, well, hold on a second, hold on a second. When are we going to get to some of the things that I feel like I need to talk about? Because we've seen this. It's a little bit shocking, but we've seen this before. I've, you know, what do you say to the spouse who says, I feel like there really are some underlying things, not to point fingers, not to, but they're still there that, that I was unhappy with or that, that really did maybe lead in some small part to this affair, are we ever going to be able to talk about those things? What would you say to the, to the, to the person who cheated on their spouse, who's, if they're being totally honest, that's what they're thinking right now at this point. Yeah. And I would just say, those are the kind of thoughts that you're going to have to just fight against because yeah, someday, someday in the future, yes, there can be opportunity for those conversations. But I think right now what you have to realize to the offender We're focused on the affair, the aftermath of an affair, of a selfish choice that you made, that you chose to lie, that you chose to deceive, that you chose to be in a relationship with somebody and to go outside of your marriage. Those are weighty choices with weighty consequences. And so right now, the focus is on how do you show your spouse the heart that says, I am brokenhearted that I wounded the person I'm supposed to love the most. I mean, really, the exercise could be if the shoe were on the other foot, speaking to the offender here, and you were the offended, how would you be feeling right now? What would you want to see your spouse do for you? This is what's hard about marriage is it it takes two people and you make a choice and it directly impacts your spouse. And the reality is you could have made different choices if you feel like your marriage was not going the way you wanted it to go. Like I said in the beginning, you could make the choice to say, honey, we need to work on some things. Let's go to counseling. Let's fix some of the stuff that we just, we argue all the time, or we don't have sex anymore. You know, whatever the issue is, you could have made different choices to fight for a healthy marriage before having an affair. But what you did choose to do was to go outside of the marriage. And so that's where the humility is. You just have to take ownership of that piece. That's where your focus is right now. How do I earn trust? How do I get to our marriage to a place where my spouse trusts that I love them enough that then we can have some of those conversations at a later time about 
things in the marriage that still need some work. Okay. So what if they say, I did do those things two years Mm -hmm. ago. I did try to address those underlying issues as far as I saw that. And I don't feel like my spouse listened to me. And so that's why I stepped out. I tried this. We've been here before. I tried to address some of these underlying issues, but it, it just didn't work. What do you say to the, to the offender who has that attitude? I would say you got to try harder. I mean, I don't know. That's not, there's not an easy answer here, but the, ju- but the just decision, the right decision is never to cheat on your spouse. It's not to go outside of the marriage. You made covenants, you made promises. So do whatever it takes, do whatever it takes to honor your marriage vows and to keep going back to your spouse and saying, no, really, we need to work on this. This, our marriage is not going in a good direction. You know, there's been a few situations of people that sometimes maybe, um, taking a couple weeks apart. Like if you feel like you try to come to your spouse and say, I'm not happy and things aren't working and they're not taking it seriously, then sometimes a time of separation can be helpful to maybe drive a point home to your spouse. Like, no, this is serious. Like our marriage is in trouble. Let's work on it. But the answer is not ever. Then it's okay. I tried. I, I brought it up a couple times. It still didn't work. So now I'm just going to go cheat. That's just not, that's just not the right decision that grieves the heart of God. The last thing that you must do if you've had an affair and you want to restore your marriage, and it, this is really the kind of the main thing we talked about this last week as well, kind of this is what all of this is driving toward, and it's to work hard to earn trust. Tracy, this is pillar number two of our Marriage Basics series. I'll put a link to that down below, but Marriage Basics, I mean, this, these are really the foundational principles. Love is a choice, trust is earned, and healthy couples keep talking. And this is that second principle, Tracy, the, the second pillar of a healthy marriage, which is that trust is earned. It's not freely given. You can't demand it from your spouse that they trust you. Their ability to trust you is completely dependent on your trustworthiness. And obviously, if you're in this situation where you've cheated on your spouse, guess what? You have, you've withdrawn from the trust bank, and now you just simply have to buckle down and make a decision and even articulate that to your spouse. I'm going to earn your trust. Like, that's my goal. I want to earn. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time, but I'm going to earn your trust. Yeah. And that's, again, where we say your spouse will be the one to tell you what that looks like. And then we'll talk about that next week to the offended, that they could come up with some specific things that they would need to see in your actions to earn trust. But that that's all part of that humility. Like we talked about that your attitude coming to your spouse is I'm going to do whatever it takes. So you tell me the things you need to see. So for a lot of couples, it's I want to have you know, I want proof that the relationship has been cut off. So what does that need to look like? Do you need to see, do you need to show the text, the email? Do you need to have a conversation with your spouse sitting there breaking off a relationship? What's, what's the access to the phone or to social media? Do you have social media at all? Like all of those things would be conversations that you would have in humility with your spouse to say, whatever you need from me, I'm going to show you in my actions that I am a trustworthy person, that I will show you, I will be able to prove, so to speak, my trustworthiness by the actions that I'm going to take. 
you know, that I give you access to my phone, that when you ask me a question, I give you an answer, that I'm transparent, that I'm meeting with that accountability person, that, you know, I closed off all my social media accounts, or we're just having an account as a couple, that you could pick up my phone at any moment and look at what my texts are, that I don't have things deleted. Um, whatever it is, you know, if it's, you know, on the way to work or just timestamps of where are you and what are you doing? Like whatever it takes, that's that humility is in the earning trust piece that you show with your actions, that you meet the expectations that your spouse will have for you. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And I don't think he was talking about literally, but I think he was trying to get a point across. It's what you said, Tracy, it's whatever it takes. So to the offender, I think you need to be willing to cut off that relationship. Obviously, you need to be willing to give up your phone if you need to, or certainly access to your phone, your passwords. Maybe, maybe your so some of your social media accounts, Tracy, we tell couples this all the time. You should, you shouldn't have two separate accounts. If you're going to have a, have an account and this is an issue for you. And if you're listening to this, then it is then make a decision that you're going to have one joint account if you're having an account at all. Whatever it takes, do the thing that you need to do to earn trust. I remember a couple of years ago, they came to us and they had these kinds of issues in their marriage and the husband was the offender and the wife was the offended. And she was fuming. She was so upset and rightly so. I mean, this, this stuff was hidden from her for 20 plus years. And he said, what do I need to do anything at all. And she, and she gave him a list. Like, for example, I can't, we can't live in the same bedroom anymore. We can't sleep in the same bed for a while. I, we, we need some separation, but they, instead of moving out into a different home, she was okay with him live, sleeping in another bedroom, but she, they literally put tape down the middle of their kitchen and he had to stay on his <laughs> side of the tape. And again, maybe our listeners are saying that sounds ridiculous. What? Yeah, that's too, that's over the line. Nope. Nothing's over the line. That's what she wanted. And I was proud of him for saying, that's fine. He didn't, acu- he didn't say that's ridiculous. He just said, fine, I'll do it. Whatever it takes to earn trust back. He had to quit his job because of the trigger that that was for him. And he said, okay. And he was an older guy at this point, And it was well into his career. He said, I'll do it. He did whatever it took. And that marriage survived. In fact, more than survived, that marriage is healthier than it ever was because, because he was willing to to do the thing to earn trust. So I just want to encourage, if you're out there listening, you've, you've had an affair, but you, 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 want, you want to save your marriage. There is hope to save your marriage. Own up to your mistakes. Seek wise counsel for yourself and then have fruitful conversations with your spouse and really be humble in the midst of those conversations. And through it all, remember, you've got you've to start earning trust, whatever it takes to earn trust, rebuild that trust. And, and your marriage really can be more than restored. It can actually become something better than it ever was. Hey, listeners, Pastor Brian here. If you're enjoying our podcast, 
Would you consider becoming a donor? Our goal is that these podcasts would reach the largest audience possible. So obviously it takes money to create good podcasts, but more than that, we want to make sure to market this to the whole nation and even to the world. That's where your donation comes in. So would you consider becoming a monthly donor? And to do it, just visit PursueGod.org forward slash donate.